Good morning, saints of God. Would you stand with me? Hey, no matter what we're facing this morning, no matter what's going on in the chaotic world, the Lord goes before us. He fights our battles. He is our victor. When all I see is a battle, you see my victory. Yes, you do. Help me out, tricks. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I'm safe with you. Let's sing it out. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing to the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to
God's word says that perfect love casts out fear. It also says that God is love. So God, we are just asking that you would cast out any fear in this place today, God. That you yes. provide a freedom like never before. The chains would be broken, Lord, and that you would be glorified. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own Sing it out When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken No, I won't I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Yes, Lord, we're standing in your love this morning. Everlasting love. Shame no longer has a place to hide. I am not a captive to the lies. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. And I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance. Stand a chance when I stand in your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Always stand in your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand.
Thank you for your love and your grace. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing your grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious song sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, the mount of your redeeming love.
that God loves us. It's really easy to just say, God loves me, I know. God loves me, I know. But it almost just becomes a slogan. God loves me. God loves us. God loves me. But we don't dwell on it. That's what we want to do this morning, right now. Dwell. Accept, believe, meditate. God loves me right now. No matter what I did this morning or yesterday, no matter what sin I'm caught in and struggling with right now, in my doubt and in my fear and in my disbelief, in my struggle, in my sorrow, in my sin, God loves me right now. Right now. He loved you in eternity past. He will love you in eternity future. And that's amazing. And that is miraculous. And that is glorious. But he also loves you right now. As we sing this song, meditate on that with us. God really loves you.
God, we thank you so much for loving us. We praise you, Father. We praise you, the Son, our Lord Jesus. And we praise you, Holy Spirit. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light. From, from heaven, you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the
good morning. Welcome to Camrio Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we're gonna start this morning a little differently than we usually do. I wanna speak to some of the things that are happening across the world. And then after I'm done talking about that, I'm gonna ask us to stand up, reach across the aisles, hold hands together, and we're just gonna pray to our God over some of the things that are going on. Um, I will let you know that uh, I am a dispensationalist theologically. There's a theological system called dispensationalism. I want to describe it to you because it affects the way I view these things. Uh, and I'm not saying that our church is there. I'm just saying what my own personal belief is there. I don't know where our elders stand on some of these things. Um, they're, they're secondary issues. But dispensationalism is the idea that God made some promises to both ethnic and spiritual Israel in the Old Testament. A lot of those promises have not been fulfilled yet. And so a dispensationalist says, God will fulfill those promises that he made to ethnic and spiritual Israel one day in the future. When I say ethnic and spiritual Israel, what I'm saying is there's an ethnicity about the people of Israel and there is a spirituality about them as well. One day, spiritually speaking, there is a remnant of Israel that will believe in Christ and God will fulfill his promises that he made in the Old Testament to them at that time, both ethnically and spiritually, he will fulfill those promises. I don't believe that the church now supplants Israel in those promises and that now God gives us those promises instead of Israel. No, I believe we're in the church age. There will be a day where we're raptured out we're no longer here and God will go back to those promises that he made to both ethnic and spiritual Israel. There'll be a remnant that will come to know Christ and he will fulfill those promises to them in the future. So because of that understanding, biblically speaking and theologically speaking, I stand with Israel when these things come up. But that's not to say that there isn't a remnant of Palestinians who are coming to know Christ. And it's not to say that Christ isn't moving or God isn't moving in the Islamic world. I would point you towards books where we're seeing people coming to Christ in droves, Wind in the House of Islam, books like that, that will show how people are seeing visions of a man in white, so much so that there are believers who are standing outside a mosque saying, have you seen the man in white? And yes, I've seen him. Have you been in my dreams? Tell me about him. Come over here and let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. God is moving in every people group across the world. And it's happening. I have a friend right now who can't even tell you the country, but he's there trying to win people of Islamic faith to Christ. And so we believe there's a remnant in Israel. We believe there's a remnant of every tribe and tongue. And so we stand with Christ in all of these things. I believe there's Palestinians in the next couple of weeks who are stuck in the middle of a holy war that they didn't invite on themselves. Some of which who are believers in Christ saying, great, now we're stuck here. As Israel, rightfully so, has their 9-11 moment and says, we're gonna defend our country against the atrocities of Muslim extremism. And they should. But this is evil at its foundation. The idea that you could behead a child and think of it as holy in nature because we're in a holy war. That's evil at the very foundation. We understand things through the lens of the kingdom of God. And so we're for Christ in Israel and we're for Christ in Palestine. 
with the Palestinian people and the Israeli people. We're for Christ in the Ukraine, and we're for Christ in Russia, and we're for Christ in China. And we're thankful today that we get to worship and with not one concern that anybody can close us down. Thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful country. But my citizenship is in Christ. My citizenship and my highest loyalty is to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this country. The fact of the matter is that even in countries where they don't have freedoms like we do, they're still worshiping today. They just politely refuse to follow the law. So it's not original founding documents that, that stop us from worshiping God. No, we worship regardless, whether we're here or there. And so we come as kingdom of God people asking God to move all across this world. Would you please stand up, hold hands together, and let's pray. Across the aisles, we haven't done this but one other time since I've been here in seven years, but just in a show of solidarity, we come under the banner of Christ and we hold hands to pray together. Let us pray together as a church. Father, the evil that we see today, it cannot be classified by any other word besides evil, and it feels like there should be a stronger word. It's horrible what's going on. In the name of religiosity, in the name of, of holiness, the things that are happening, I can't even imagine. And yet we come knowing that your sovereign hand is bigger than the small hand of the enemy. And we trust in you and your hand. And we trust that you're flying this plane called life and the, that you hold the world and hold it and, and allow it to spin and float. According to Colossians 1, you, Jesus Christ, are holding it on together. They wonder why don't atoms just split apart? I know why. The God of the universe is holding it together. And so even in difficulty and even in these atrocities and these things that we see on television and the things that bring about worry, is there a next World War III coming? we still fall at your feet and recognize that you are sovereign. You are Lord, you are God. You do not step off the throne. You don't forget anything. You're all powerful, all knowing and everywhere and you will work your master plan. No, 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 no hint of evil can stop you from your master plan. And so we trust in you and we ask you to be with the families that are having difficulty of losing loved ones in Israel. And we ask you for the, the loving Palestinians, some who know Christ, who are going to be going through this the next several weeks, would you somehow bring them towards you? And Father, would you deal with evil on this earth? Deal with it wherever it's at and don't stop until it's dealt with. But we represent the cause of Christ more than we represent any cause of any nation. And we're asking that you will be glorified in all situations by bringing more people to Christ and fulfilling the activities and the promises of your word. We trust that you'll do it. And we pray in solidarity with believers all across this world. And this church said, amen. amen. Why don't you have a seat for me if you would. And uh, thank you for that little bit of time where we can just acknowledge what's going on. And as you get back to your seats and you're trying to process and get ready for the message, let me just ask you a quick question. Have you ever taken a wrong turn? Yeah, have you ever taken a wrong turn? If you're like me, I'm such a great conversationalist, like 10 of 10 conversationalists, that I take wrong turns all the time. 
Because once I get in the car, I'm talking and I'm really good at that. And I'm going to miss a ride or a life at some point. And my wife always rags on me and says, you know, David, you never get to the place where you're supposed to go. And I always remind her, name me one time we haven't eventually got there. I might not get you there on time, but I get you there every time. I remember there's a situation years ago, a good friend of mine, Bud Harley, goes to our church. In fact, he's sitting right there and we were on this journey together. We had gone for a couple days to meet up with our students at Friathon in the mountains of Fresno, uh, uh, Modesto. It's our summer camp for high school. And we just thought we'll go up there for a couple days, encourage all the leaders, say hi to some students, and, and then we'll come home. We weren't able to stay the whole week, but we'd stay a couple days. And so we go there, we have a great time, say hello to everybody. And then it's time to go home two days later. We get in the car, we come down the mountainside, the hillside of, of Modesto. We decide we're going to stop and get some lunch. I'll never forget it, Popeye's chicken. I love Popeye's chicken, but I would never forget this day. Could never forget this day in my life. We have our fill, fill up, refill our big old glass of soda, get in the car and start heading back south to Southern California, taking the south route. We're driving, having good conversation for about an hour and a half, and I see a sign. It says Lodi. I said, bud, please tell me there's a Lodi Avenue or Lodi Street Please tell me I just didn't see the city of Lodi. He's like, Dave, we're driving through the middle of California. Who cares if we pass the city of Lodi? Why does it matter? I go, bud, because I used to live in Northern California, one hour away from Lodi. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, we've all been driven an hour and a half in the wrong direction. Talk about a wrong turn. Call our wives who say we think we're going to be a little late. There's some traffic. turn around, head back, stop at that very same Popeye's chicken, <laughs> refill our head back south, Southern California. So when I ask you, if you've ever taken a wrong turn, I feel like I have a master's degree in wrong turns, but I also have a master's degree in great conversations as well. Have you ever taken a wrong turn? Have you ever taken a wrong turn? I wonder if you've ever thought about whether or not you've taken a wrong turn spiritually speaking. Have you ever taken a wrong turn spiritually? And if you did, how would you know you did? What would that look like? What does it look like when you've taken a wrong turn? What are the indicators that verify that you, in fact, have taken a wrong turn spiritually speaking? How can someone know if they're headed to a dead end spiritually? And what are the factors that make that clear? How do family react when you are taking a wrong turn? How might God react in the midst of wrong turn decisions? For that, we're going to be in your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 19. Hold your Bible in the air if you brought it with you. If you're looking at your phone this morning, and you, yes, absolutely, great. Hopefully you brought a pen, a pencil, a highlighter. It's not a sin to write in your Bible. So uh, highlight, we want to saturate ourselves in the Word of God. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to look at verses 8 through 24 together today. So as you turn there, 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 8 through 24, uh, we'll be looking at this overarching question, how do you know you have taken a wrong turn in life? How do you know you've taken a wrong turn in life? What are the indicators, what's the Lodi sign <laughs> that you've taken the wrong turn? Well, the first thing we're going to look at is uh, you might get an indication when you receive opposition from your family. 
when you receive opposition from family. Family are to be the most supportive people in your life. They're the ones who support you in your highs and your lows. They receive you when you're low and they prop you back up again. When you're high, they try to temper it a little bit. They're there to be faithful to you. So when you're receiving opposition from one or more family members, you might take it as an indication that maybe you've taken a wrong turn in life. How do you know you've taken a wrong turn in life? Well, number one, when your family is starting to oppose you, you might take that as an indicator. Let's see this in verses 8 through 17 together in 1 Samuel chapter 19. It says this. There was war again, and David went out and fought the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand. We've seen this playwright before. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David against the wall with the spear. But David eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. So stake out at David's house. Michal, which is David's wife, Saul's daughter, told him, if you don't escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. When Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. And then Saul sent messengers again to David saying, bring him up to me in, in his bed that I might kill him. So even bring him in a sick bed so I can kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed, the pillow of goat hair at its head. And Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. David said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Let me go or I'm going to have to kill you. She lied to her father. How do you know that you've taken the wrong turn in life? Well, you might get an indication when you begin to see that you're receiving opposition from your very own family. Your very own family. The impetus for everything that goes on in this chapter or the, the, this, this point in our chapter is the fact that Saul is jealous once again of David. David goes out to war. He takes out the Philistines with a great blow. They fled before him. This is happening over and over and over again. Every time he comes back, he's alive. Every time he comes back with the spoils of war, every time he comes back, his fame grows bigger and bigger in all of Israel. And Saul sees that and says, I'm jealous of that. I don't want him to have that. I want him to go to war and die so we can celebrate him as a hero and I don't have to worry about him anymore. I don't want him to win the war and then he gets more acclaim, more prestige amongst our people. We've seen this before. He gets jealous. And then we've also seen the other side, which God sends a holy torment, a, a harmful spirit. This is the third time we've seen that. So it's a combination of jealousy and then God adding this harmful spirit to Saul's heart that makes him even more jealous and causes him to do atrocious things and almost baiting him into deplorable activity. We talked about the, uh, the problem of evil when we went through the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23. I encourage you to go back, if you weren't here for that message, and see that online when we talk about how can God use evil for his purposes. We dealt with that. And here again, we see the same recipe. 
Saul is jealous in his heart over, over David and what he's able to accomplish. And God's sending a holy torment inside his heart that actually kind of baits him into doing atrocious things. And so Saul tries two more times to kill David. These are two times into the additional two other times that we've saw already in this series where he's tried to kill David. There was a time where the same thing happened. He's playing the liar to try to calm him down. Doesn't work. Takes a spear, throws it at him. David goes, here, here's your spear. Throws it at him again. Now, in addition to that, after Jonathan brokered a deal to make peace, David's back again playing the liar, trying to help the guy out. And he tries to kill him again. Then he runs off. And the second time, Saul receives resistance from a surprising foe. Back to his old self again, he tries to kill David right before him as he's playing. And as I said before, we've seen this play right before in 1 Samuel chapter 18. This time, David would run away and go into permanent hiding. This time, David would leave and never step foot back into the palace for 20 years. He would never step foot in the king's palace again until he himself was king. You talk about waiting for God to deliver you. 20 years. You think you've been waiting for a long time. Try 20 years. I feel like God is making me wait and just torturing me in the, promise, in the process. Really? 20 years? 20 years he waited. And by the way, in all those 20 years, he never did anything to try to circumvent God's plan. He kept on going. Well, Saul hunts him down, decides he's going to stake out his house. And uh, interestingly enough, if you want to write this down, Psalm 59 is thought to have been written with this in mind. So we're going through the story of David. He feels like he's being hunted down by the king and he writes Psalm 59. I challenge you to go this week, go and read it and watch how he deliberates and how he prayerfully gets his mind in the right spot. I've done nothing wrong and the world's trying to kill me. And yet I'll praise the Lord by the end of the Psalm. It's a beautiful picture of how you work yourself back when you're in distress. Well, this is where the story gets rather interesting because David's wife, who is Saul's daughter, warns David and helps him escape out of a window in verses 11 and 12. It does pay to listen to your wife sometimes. And all the women of our church said, rather emphatically, not only does she do that, though, she buys him time by lying to her dad. I want you to see this again. Go back to verse 13. Maybe we can put it back on the screen as well. Go to verse 13 in your Bibles where it says, Bacal had an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat hair on its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. And then Saul sent messengers to see David saying, bring him to me in his sick bed and I'll, that I might kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed. The pillow of goat hair was at his head. And, she, and Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped. And Michal answered to him in a lie saying, he said to me, namely David, let me go, why should I kill you? Let me go or I'll have to kill you is what she tells her father. But we know the story because we read the story and nowhere does that happen. So she lies to her dad about David being sick to buy him time. 
Then she lies to her dad about why she would do such a thing. Well, I was just trying to make sure I got to live. He was gonna kill me otherwise. She lies, says he's sick. He says, I got no mercy. Bring, me, bring him to me in his sickbed. I'll kill him in his sickbed. When they go back the second time, they find an Alcatraz escape dummy in the bed. Anybody? But this does bring a kind of, kind of a theological issue. And that is what was going on with that idol in David's house? And it seems to be a rather large idol as well because it's able to take on the form of a body in a bed. So why would David allow an idol in his house? Then that seemed to be kind of contrary to scripture. The world is full of idol worship at the time, the idols that would be used in divination. It's detested according to the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 21, Zechariah chapter 10. It's probably a statue associated with kind of luck and prosperity. If the family worshiped this idol, then you'll have luck and prosperity. Something again that is condemned by biblical authors in Exodus chapter 15, 2 Kings chapter 23. It seems obvious as what's going on here is that David's wife, kept some things that were against David's wishes. We get some hints in both 1st and 2nd Samuel that while Michal loved David, she didn't necessarily find herself in love with his God. There's a couple of things that give us that indication. So she probably had something on the side and says, perfect timing. You need luck. I got this idol of luck. I'll put it in the bed. He says, I'll trust God. You trust that idol. And there you have it. But when her dad asks her again, why would you do this? She lies and she says, well, David threatened to kill me. That's why I did it. Listen, it is no small thing when multiple family members come in opposition to you. This is not the first time that one of Saul's family members has agreed with David and not Saul. Jonathan, his son, his number one son, the son who's gonna be the prince, the, the, the future king, has said, I'll side with David. And now his daughter, Michal, who doesn't even love God, has said, I'll side with David. It is no small thing when multiple family members come at you in opposition. It might be an indicator that you've taken a wrong turn in life. I remember when I was uh, pastoring in Arizona uh, several years ago, I was a pastor, I was the executive pastor, but I also oversaw groups. And I had this one group leader combination, Ricky and, um, uh, oh, Kiki and Rick were their names. And I, I used them as all-stars because they had led a group for 25 years. 25 years, like these guys are awesome, you know? And so, you know, we paraded them and said, Ricky and uh, I mean, uh, Kiki and Rick, they're, you know, they're our, our, our group leaders that have been here forever. And, one session, they came to me and said, David, we think we're going to close our group down. I go, what? You can't close your group down. It's been 25 years. No, we think we're going to close our group down. All right, well, listen, you can close your group down. I'm, I'm not God, so you can close your group down if you need to. But 25 years, at very least, you're going to give me a reason why. I mean, uh, you're kind of our all-star group leaders. They said, well, you know, there's this, there's this new gal coming to our group. She travels all the way from the other side of Phoenix area, travels an hour, and... Uh, comes to church and then our, our group meets after church and she comes to our group. Every time she comes, she comes in the kitchen and goes, where's the food? Where's the food? How come you guys don't have food? I said, stop it, that's not happening. Yeah, that's happening. 
And then she goes around and asks everybody for money. She doesn't seem like she's into the study at all. She just asks for food and money. And I said, I said uh, Kiki, Rick, if you didn't have that situation to deal with, do you think that you would keep your group running? They go, oh yeah, we love our group. We've been doing this for 25 years. I go, how about I deal with that situation for you? So I met with this lady and I said, hey, help me out. Let me know what's going on here. You're driving from the other side of the valley. It's an hour's drive. You're driving a brand new, you know, Honda Civic. Like you drive a nicer car than I do at the time. Um, what's going on? So I have a lot of financial issues. Well, okay, I, I, I get it. But you're driving from the other side of the valley. It takes a lot of gas to do that. You have a brand new car. How, how, are, you, how, is this, how, how are you facilitating all this? Well, I have a lot of problems, a lot of families. Okay, okay, all right, let's go another angle. Where is your family? Do you have any kids? Do you have any, well, I got divorced. Uh, what about your kids? Yeah, I have kids, but they, they disown me. They don't talk to me. Okay, what about uncles, aunties, brothers, and sisters? All of them have disowned me. Nobody talks to me. I don't know what the issue is, but I bet there was a wrong turn somewhere. So I politely asked her to not go to that group anymore. And Kiki and Rick lead that group to this day in Arizona. I don't know, something about the, the, the red light turns on for me. It's like, a, like, a, like, like there's a, a, a red banner when, when your family has steered clear of you. And I mention that to you because if you have people in your family right now saying, hey, we're concerned about this. Hey, listen to what they're saying. If you have several people telling you in your family that something's going on, you might have evidence there that somewhere along the way, even though you don't see it, you've taken a wrong turn. And that's what's going on in Saul's life, but he's not able to receive it. How do you know when you've taken a wrong turn in life? Well, number one, you might find that you're receiving opposition from your family. That's not the only thing. You might find that you're receiving opposition from God. You ever looked at your life and said, man, it feels like God's against me. How do I know when I've taken a wrong turn? Well, if you begin looking at your life and starting to see, like, it feels like there's opposition from God, very God, like nothing's working out. God must be against me. It might be another indicator for you. I want you to see this in verses 18 through 24. It says this, now David fled and escaped and he came to Samuel at Ramah and he told him all that, Samuel, uh, that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told to Saul, behold, David is in Naoth in Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. And they saw that he was in the company of prophets and prophesying. Samuel, stand, Samuel standing over as head over them. The spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. And when it was told to Saul that he sent another set of messengers and they also prophesied. And then Saul sent uh, uh, messengers again a third time and they also prophesied. And then he himself went to Ramah and came to a great well that is in Seku. And he asked, where is Samuel and David? And they said, well, they're in Naoth in Ramah. And the, there he went. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah and the spirit of God came upon him also. And he went, as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah and he too was stripped of his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and laid naked all day long and all night. And thus it is said, is Saul 
among the prophets. The irony on that statement is that that's how it began his reign as well. His reign began with him being able to prophesy and now his reign is ending with him prophesying as well. There's some great irony there. How do you know when you've taken a wrong turn in life? Well, when you receive opposition from God, very God. He finds out where David is. David's hanging out with Samuel, which by the way, very good thing to do. He retreats to a godly man, a great plan in the midst of distress. I highly recommend it. He goes to Samuel. There's nothing like licking your wounds than going to somebody who's godly in character, who's gonna listen to you, uh, uh, process all those emotions, but then stir you towards the God activity afterwards. You want that, you need that in your life. And by the way, Samuel has been there and done that before. If you remember in Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, Samuel himself was worried about God, or Saul trying to kill him. So Samuel knows what he's talking about. And David says, I'm gonna go to you. You understand what I'm going through. Well, Saul finds out, sends messengers to where David and, and, and Samuel are, and they are thwarted by God. They go there, they see Samuel prophesying with other prophets, and all of a sudden they come into a spiritual trance-like state where all they can do is, is say how wonderful God is. And we find that it's hard to follow the command of your earthly king when the king of the universe stops you in your tracks. But a spiritual trance-like worshipful state God can render your enemies' evil intentions, intentions useless. He can render them incapacitated. And he can do it by immobilizing them, spiritually speaking, taking control of their words and their actions. And so that happens three times. It's not working. And so Saul says, I'll go myself because that'll be better. He goes himself to no avail. God thwarts him in that process as well, but with some extra symbolic details. He starts early, uh, his prophetic trance-like state starts earlier than the guys. They, they would get there and see Samuel, and then all of a sudden they'd be joining in a prophetic state. But his starts early. He goes to a well. He goes, where are they? And they go, they're that way. And, he, and all, right there, he's on his journey, it's already starting early. His spiritual and trance-like state included him stripping off his clothing. Now, there's some debate on whether he was totally naked or just his royal garments. Wouldn't be um, out of the ordinary uh, for somebody to strip their clothes, put ashes on their face when they're lamenting or when they're in mourning, when they're seeking God, petitioning God, when they're coming to God in a woeful attitude. That wouldn't be uncommon. The irony here is that Saul isn't exactly petitioning God for his will. He wants his will. There's a difference between wanting his will or wanting his will, right? And so that's not exactly the, he's not coming in a woeful state. Probably is very symbolic of him being stripped of his royalty. You took your garments off. That was not of your doing. That's my doing. I've taken them off for you. Make no respect, mistake about it. This points back to the sovereignty of God. We may think that we're in charge of our own lives, but the truth is there's a sovereign God with a sovereign hand, sovereignty meaning he's in control. He can manipulate evil for his own purposes. He can manipulate spiritual moments for his own purposes. He can manipulate the function of your very mind, see Nebuchadnezzar, for his own purposes. 
and he will be the one who will see that this world subordinates himself, help me now, for his own purposes. He's sovereign. He cannot undo what God wants to do with his mighty hand. So we see in our study in 1 Samuel that Saul had it all. And yet the decisions he made put him in a position to lose it all. Which brings us to the big idea. Take a good look at your life and accept what it's trying to tell you. Take a good look at your life and accept what it's telling you. And don't excuse it away. Just take a good look at your life and actually receive what it's telling you. My family disowned me. God seems to be out of the picture. Just Maybe there's a wrong turn somewhere. Don't be the person that sees all these things, the calamity around you and go, oh, I think everything's fine. No, no, take a good look at your own life and receive what it's trying to tell you. It was a hot start for Saul. He came humbly. He was unassuming. He was graciously shocked at his choosing to be king. I I often have said in this series, he's hanging out at baggage claims. He's hiding behind baggages. And as his time goes by, his humility turns to hubris and his hubris turns into God's, Doghouse, humility, hubris, doghouse. Instead of humbling himself at that point and turning back to God, he doubles down on his stubbornness, which leads them to insecurity and jealousy and fear and autocratic tendencies like premeditated attempted murder. But with such a promising start, ended up with such a disappointing finish. Take a good look at your life and accept what it's trying to tell you. Started off so good, it's ended so bad. You know, last week I ended my three year fast of golfing. I was invited by someone in our church to go golfing. I don't know if you guys know, there's like a golfers fellowship. Um, is it every Friday, every two weeks? Every, some Fridays of the month there's men I think you're, there's wives that come too. It's not just a man thing. If you're a golfer, you need to get involved in this thing. It's a blast. So last week it was here in Oxnard. I got invited, so I decided to go. And they needed a fourth person for their scramble. Uh, you know what a scramble is when they, the best ball and you keep on going, you know, which is great for a beginner like myself. And some people ask me for like, I didn't know you're golf. I didn't know you, you're a golfer. What's your handicap? I say all of them, all of them. I don't, I'm such a novice. I don't quite understand the question but I know there's always a number associated with it. Like you're handicapped and there's a number. I just say all of them, every hole, I'm hand, all of them. Uh, um, I tell my team, I go, listen guys, I know, I know golfers like have goals. Like they wanna, they wanna shoot the farthest or drive the farthest or, or swing it to the left or swing it to the right or, or, or you know, get close to the pin or the hole, whatever you call that thing. My goal is if I swing and it goes straight and in the air, victory! I don't care if it goes in the water, in the bunker, if it's in the air and it's going straight, you don't understand how long it's taking me to get that ball in the air. Needless to say, I wasn't gonna contribute that much to the scramble. They were gonna have to win the scramble with three instead of four if we were to win. Um, But I noticed the, the front nine, for those of you guys who are rookies, that's the first nine holes. Man, the front nine, it was awesome. It's beautiful outside, sunny. I mean, the birds are chirping. The ducks are so cute. 
I've got jokes. People are laughing. I'm stretched out. I'm hitting, I'm hitting the ball in the air and it's going straight. I'm feeling good. Everything is grand. And then comes the back nine. For those of you who are rookies, that's the last nine holes. The back nine. It's no longer beautiful. I'm sweating. My lower back is killing me at every swing. Stinking dragonflies are eating the dandruff off my forehead or something. Whereas I started off thinking the ducks are cute and I wish I had a BB gun. I ain't got jokes and I just want to go home. And then it hits me. That's why those dudes on TV gets paid millions for playing golf. Because of the back nine. Anybody can hit the front nine and be good at the front nine, right? But can you remain consistent in the back nine? That's why they get paid millions. Because they stay consistent when your back is tired and you're sore and it's hot and sweaty. All those conditions. Now, I want you to watch this. Check this out. Look up at me. Don't miss this. We think of Christianity like it's the front nine. But Christianity is a back nine sport. You don't get the millions until you perfect the back nine. The start matters, but how you finish matters most. And so I challenge you, take a good look at your life and accept what it's telling you. Accept what it's trying to tell you. Did you take a wrong turn somewhere in, in the spiritual journey? And at some point, did you, did you veer off? And is it time to come back? And are you ready to turn back to God? You may have taken a wrong turn and it may have taken you to get to Lodi, California, figured out. But, but you turned around and that's what's most important. Are you ready to turn back? Or maybe you're here and, and this whole thing is you're at the very beginning of the spiritual journey. You just wanna make sure you do things right. It's a great place to be. You guys, we can't go another month or six months without hearing about another prominent believer in Christ who is defected or redacted their beliefs. Deconstructed is the popular word. Christianity isn't cool anymore. That's okay. I didn't jump in this thing to be cool. I came to this thing to serve the Savior. How about you? It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Take stock of your life and ask yourself, Am I still on the right track? And if you're not, have the guts to turn around, fill up your soda and go the right way. If you're here and you're not a believer and you're like, wow, I'm just being introduced to this. What's the first step? I'll tell you the first step. It's very simple. It's to acknowledge that you're not worthy of God. Well, that sounds humbling. Well, it is humbling. God, very God, he's perfect. He's never done anything wrong. Once you've done one thing wrong, you don't deserve him. There's a chasm between you and him. You placed your faith in Jesus Christ in the substitute for you, spiritually speaking. He dies on the cross for all of my sin. David Hurtado and his sins die at the cross. And I get in return the righteousness of Christ on my account, even though God knows everything I've done. You see, we as believers get labeled as we're trying to be perfect all the time. No, no, no. We know we're not perfect. We know who is perfect. And we know who forgives us. 
We just come with the right heart attitude saying, yes, you're right, I was wrong, I'm sorry. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that he saved you. And just like Christ goes into the grave and is resurrected, you in your old life dies and you are resurrected to new life. Not that you're perfect, but you now have a savior who's walking with you in the journey. So that you can say when the world goes upside down, there's a sense where it's sobering. And there's another sense where I'm okay because my God is flying the plane. I'm on his plane. And if he crash lands us, that's okay. And if he finds a place to land, that's okay. All I know is my daddy's flying it and I'm gonna be okay. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Is God speaking to you? It could be as simple as, yeah, it's me. I've taken the wrong turn, Pastor. I wanna turn back. You're in a great place. You've taken stock of your life. You found the wrong turn and now you're turning back. Or it could be, no, I, I didn't even know there's this, this thing called a spiritual life. I'm new at this. You're in a great place. Jump on board with Jesus and let him change you from the inside out. Father, there is a lot of sobering things going on in this world, but we trust the sovereign hand of God who can use evil for his purposes, who can use spiritual moments for his purposes, who can, who can literally bring a mind into confusion for his purposes. Nothing can thwart your master plan. We are always safe in the hands of God, according to John chapter 10. We trust in you. We trust in you. Help us trust in you. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Um, you know, uh, if you're here today and you just maybe prayed with Pastor David, he was he's talking about uh, accepting Jesus's offer to forgive your sins and how the righteousness can be on your account. If that sounds like something you need to do, or maybe you feel like God's doing something in your life, you're ready to take that step towards Jesus today. Um, would you go to the counter in the lobby on the left-hand side on your way out? Or if you're online, go to campcc.net and click on next steps. And just let us know that God's doing something in your life. We want to be part of that journey towards Christ with you. Um, we're going to receive our offering now. There's three ways to, to participate in that, as you can see on the screen. Either going to our website, camcc.net, texting the amount you'd like to know to 84321, or there's an offering box in the lobby. Um, today, I'd also like to introduce to you someone, uh, Shelly and Alistair Crowdis, if you could stand up here. These are our missionaries to Zimbabwe that we, uh, on our support. Yeah. They have a, um, they're going to have a table on the patio if you want to talk to them and learn about the, their ministry, as well as during the second hour, they're going to be making a presentation in the other building in the small little room by the kitchen with the, to the Sunday school class there. If you'd like to join them and hear about what they're doing there, it'd be wonderful. All right, um, before we go, let's check out what's coming up next at Camp CC on this video. Cam CC. I'm Chelsea Hernandez and I oversee activities for young families in our church. We are so glad you are here today. On October 15th at 3.30, we will be decorating pumpkins with our little ones. You bring the pumpkins, we'll provide the decorations. If you want more info on young families, you can email me at youngfamilies@camcc.net, and I'll keep you in the loop. If today is your first time with us, welcome. If it's your second time, we are so glad to have you back. 
If you are a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. Fill out our connection card or scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let us know you filled it out digitally. You can also put your prayer request on that card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know and you'll get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. If you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. There are great things coming up at CamCC. Be thinking about who you will invite. October 20th through the 22nd, Women's Retreat. Ladies, remember, Women's Retreat held at Mount Crags in Calabasas. For more info, go to camcc.net slash women or connect with Allison at camcc.net. Friday, October 27th, Middle School Nerf War, 7 to 9 p.m. Bring your own Nerf gun, free admission for World War Nerf. Set designs, barricades, Nerf turrets, and gospel message. For more info, hit up jacob at camcc.net. Tuesday, October 31st, Trunk or Treat, 6 to 8 p.m. We want you to invite your friends, family, neighbors, coworkers for a night of fun. There will be creative trunks, a dance party, family photos, a candy cannon, and tons of candy. We really need trunks and volunteers to pull this off. If you can serve in any capacity, we need you. We can also share with you the areas we need to make this a success in our community. Come serve and come hang out at Trunk or Treat. Contact Sam at camcc.net for more info. The month of November, we will be kicking off a new community impact initiative. More details to come. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CamCC, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. I'm Stan Ziegler, one of the worship leaders here. And I just wanted to encourage all of you, as I encourage myself, that no matter what wrong turn I make in life, no matter how long I'm on that wrong path, God is always there to help us make that right turn and get back going in the right direction. I'd like to encourage you also to be thinking and praying about who you would like to invite to church with you next week and the weeks coming up after that. Also, if there's anything at all that you need prayer for, please come forward at the end of our service. We're going to have our prayer team here to pray with you about those things that are happening in your life. Also, don't forget to sign up for Trunk or Treat. That's coming up soon as you grab your coffee and donuts this morning and fellowship with others. And we will see you next week.